Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 202. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's episode, a new friend. That's right, a brother from another mother. A guy I hit it off with immediately because it turns out we've been living parallel lives in different parts of the country for the last... Hell, I don't know, 20 plus years. And I'm talking about Sean Merrick. Now, I got introduced to Sean Merrick because I was down at House of Pod, working on a new podcast project for a client, and I was in there with Paul Caroli, who you heard at the beginning of this episode, Pimping Changing Denver, which is a great, great show. Paul works on a number of different podcast projects, but that I would call his flagship show. And I mentioned the Stone Cold Podcast. Huge wrestling fan, you know that already. But I brought up the Stone Cold Podcast, and he said... I know the guy who produces that. And I said, get out of here. He's in town here. Paul goes, yeah. I'm like, hook me up an introduction, homie. So we met for coffee, sat down, hit it off immediately. And I said, dude, you got to come on my show. Let's talk wrestling. Let's talk podcasting. And it turns out we have three other weird connections too. One, we were both in college radio. Now that's not that weird, but he was the metal guy at his college station doing specialty shows that way. I was the punk guy. The second weird thing is, we both know and are big fans of Scott Keith. And if you don't know who Scott Keith is, he's a fairly prominent wrestling blogger. He's written a number of books. I can't remember how many books he's written at this point. But I started reading him in like 1999. And it's actually because of Scott Keith that I got my start writing on the internet. He used to have a thing called the Rant Crew, where basically anyone could write something, submit it, and it would get posted and seen on this platform by lots and lots of people. I got picked up by a webmaster there, started writing for the World Parody Federation. I was recapping Monday Night Raw. I did that every week for three plus years, I think. I can't remember exactly how long it was. But at one point, I was syndicated across more than a dozen sites. And that's how I started blogging. That's how I built my online profile. From there, I went to reviewing movies. I wrote freelance wrestling columns for this other place called Slash Wrestling. I wrote for Rick Skaya at Online Onslaught. There was a lot to it, but it all started with Scott Keith. And the fact that he's the first person I've met in the wild who also knows and enjoys Scott Keith was remarkable. And the third thing is, we're both big all-fantasy-everything fans. Great podcast. You should check that one out. It's hilarious. They fantasy draft random things. It's my current favorite podcast it's enormously funny, and one of the hosts of that show is a guy named David Borey. He's a Coloradan, so show some love. Give some support to All Fantasy Everything. But getting back to Sean, Sean is a professional podcast producer at Podcast One. Podcast One is one of the largest podcast networks out there, and he's producing something like eight shows a week for people like Stone Cold Steve Austin and retired MMA star Chael Sonnen. 
Both those shows are twice a week. He's got a lot of content he's churning out. So we talk about his journey into podcasting, how he turned it into a career. He and I both took very different paths to getting paid to do podcasting. And it's an interesting discussion. You'll also find some wrestling nerddom in here, as you might expect, from two guys who've been watching this since, by our count, 1986. So that's what now? 32 years? Yikes. That's embarrassing. But I did cut some of that out when it got a little bit too esoteric because I feel like I'm going to lose a large chunk of my audience if we go too far down that rabbit hole. Maybe those will be saved for another day when I do outtakes. But... You can follow Sean on Twitter and Instagram. I have links to both of those in the companion blog piece. Go to johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. And keep up with me on social media. It's J-O-A-T-Pod across platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. I got them all locked down under the J-O-A-T-Pod handle. That's how it's done. Now then, those are the only plugs for the front end of this week's episode. I've got Sean Merrick. He is a professional podcast producer. He works for Podcast One, producing shows for Stone Cold Steve Austin, Chael Sonnen, and a whole host of others. It's time to let him get his shit in. His episode starts right now. You kind of just pick up on their, they're just their mannerisms. Like it's just, it's just a base mannerism, and I don't do it for any other reason, just to pop myself, right? <laughs> You know, or or to you know, if I'm doing it on, a, I mean, because sometimes it's like I used to get in trouble for doing that. Uh-huh. You know, when you ever you, you ever do that when you were like a kid or like a teenager, and you'd be like, oh, so and so said, <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know, my mom would be like, that's not how they talk. Shut up, stop it. <laughs> it's like don't don't act like that. It's like I'm just expressing how I feel. Right. Well, I mean, when we met the first time, so this is Sean Merrick, fellow podcaster and fellow wrestling nerd. Mm-hmm. Which it's funny. I was one day just in House of Pod talking to Paul Caroli, good friend of mine, the uh, the producer of Changing Denver, and I mentioned Stone Cold's podcast, and he goes, "No shit. All right, you should meet Sean yeah. because Sean actually produces that show." And I popped because I thought, "Oh my god, like the guy actually produces that show. That means he's probably in contact with Stone Cold." Yes, <laughs> which is mind blowing to me because Stone Cold is one of my all time faves, as, as he is everyone. Probably the the greatest draw in the history of wrestling. Pretty much, I mean, a lot of people. He, the thing about Steve is that he is really hey. Oh, he nipped me. Yeah, I know. He's a jerk. No, okay, right. you lost your table privileges. He's like Come my on. he's like my other cat where he uh, he pur- she purrs she purrs, but she also bite, has a little bites like it's like a tiny little yeah. Bite. So he's a dick. Sorry about that. That's right. <laughs> um, everybody, a lot of people really like Steve because people people grew up with him, right? And not only did they grow up with him, but a lot of father son relationships, you know, familiar relationships, mm-hmm. just overall mother, you know, mother's father. I mean, just, you know, grandparents were just wrestling fans, and so since wrestling was such a hot thing during that time, you know, everybody was watching it, and obviously Steve was a big part of that. Oh, yeah. Him and McMahon was, I mean, at the time, it was a cultural narrative. You know, yeah. who didn't hate your boss? And, I mean, it was fantasy role-playing for everyone where Steve is beating up his boss every single week. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he was living out the dream for a lot of people. And The funny thing about Steve is, though, and I've listened to him talk to Edge and Christian quite a bit. Uh, and those guys were pals, which was surprising to me because Edge and Christian are just such, you know, dorks essentially like they're they're just wrestling nerds right from canada 
And one of the things that killed me was they were talking about the game that they would play. You know, don't look at don't me. Don't look at me. Yeah. And I remember Austin was telling this story about he was getting nailed to like the Undertaker symbol. You yeah. know, he was getting tied to that. And Christian's part of the brood there. <laughs> and he, he says to him, they're in the middle of an angle. And he says to Steve, don't look at me. And Steve goes, you son of a bitch, how long? <laughs> like, still playing along, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, And Christian's trying to get in his eye line. I'm like, dude, this was one of the highest rated draws, like, ever. And they're in the middle of just doing this nerdy shit to amuse themselves. So that it, is Steve, because when you look at the Stone Cold character, yeah. a lot of attitude, hates everyone, don't trust anyone, that yeah. kind of thing. He seems like a much nicer guy than that, though. He is. No, yeah, I mean, he... In real life, I mean, he's just a very easy going dude. You know, he's worked his ass ass off to live the good life, and you know, he just enjoys you know his 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 time yeah. as a as a human. You know, and he's you know he talks a lot about you know being out of the business, and he's still fascinated with it. But it's unfortunate that he's not able to keep wrestling, but right. he's okay with that. So, well, um, I mean, who could ask for a better run? I mean, he had. I mean, when you think about it. You know, his run as a top guy. It actually wasn't that long now that I think about it. You're looking, you think at least six years. Right. But I mean, with, with some gaps in there too, he was gone almost all of 2000. Yeah. Uh, you know, came back. What was that? Uh, the the three stages of hell match at the Royal Rumble. That was 2001. No, I think that was, that was uh, no way out. That was no way out. You're right. He came back. He did win the Rumble that year. That's right. Yeah. No, eliminated Kane. As the last guy. Right, yeah. And he uh, he came back, his first match, I think, was uh, after that Survivor Series because he wrestled Rikishi, I think, at No Mercy. Oh, right, yeah. And then he was in that six-man Armageddon match. Oh, right, yeah. That, that match was not one of my favorites. You know, that, there's a lot of stuff from... 2000 is, like, one of my favorite years of wrestling. Mine, too, yeah. Uh, but I, there's a lot of stuff that, like... You know, because being, uh, you know, back in the day, it was just, you, know, you always had to get pay-per-views, but I didn't always watch every pay-per-view. No, me either. I read about them. Every... You read about them. Yeah, you read the reviews or whatever, and you you get your fill that way. But yeah. I never, I've never actually sat down and watched some of those shows. Not <laughs> with the network. I mean, one of these days I will. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have to be like, I need the time to sit down yeah. and watch this thing. And then. So you are a professional podcaster. Yes. Professional podcast producer. Yes. And I can, I, I am that too because I have gotten paid to do podcasts now, which is that weird. It's exceptionally weird because I started this show just sort of on a whim. Like I, I knew, I knew I wanted to do it and I got encouragement to do it from my friend Brad, but I, I've sort of slowly built it into something that matters. Yeah. What's amazing to me is that you work for a company that produces podcasts, and that's something that didn't exist, what, like a decade ago even? No. Well, I mean, I often tell people that being a professional podcast producer is is not a real job. It just feels like it was something that was created and at any point could just stop being a thing. Right. Like I'm It not, feels very ethereal, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I went to college, you know, and I got a degree in radio, and I worked in radio. Where'd you work? I worked uh, – I'm so originally from Buffalo, New York, so uh -huh. I, I used to do the college radio station, WBNY. What was your show? Uh, my show was called Mayhem at Midnight. Okay. Mine was the Bipolar Show. Okay. I did uh, – yeah, because I didn't – I just did – well, I, I just did, you know, general, like, shows, and then eventually after, you know, a while, you can do, like, specialty shows. And yeah. I was like, I'm a metal guy, and I, I, I guess I was. I mean, I was – I was more of like an alt rock okay. kind of guy, but I, you know, I got into metal. And you picked I, up the metal mantle. I picked up the metal mantle. I mean, somebody had to, you know. <laughs> That's uh, true. I mean, you have to play metal. Like metals, it exists. It should be heard. Yeah, yeah. No, and it was, uh, it was, 
it was fun, you know. I mean, it yeah. was one of those things where you you know you pl- you play and you you interview bands and you try or you try to interview bands and you try to you know just kind of you kind of be a part of the scene and stuff. And you know, Buffalo had you know some pretty good bands, you know, nothing crazy good, but you know, as far as metal goes, I mean, I mean, nothing that broke out, you know, as much as some of the punk bands or some punk bands did. I mean, there's a few that metal bands have broken. Well, out. it's funny. I did the punk show yeah. at my college. So, I mean, you're the metal guy. I was the punk guy. And I very much was the punk guy at the time. Yeah. And largely am now. But when you were interviewing bands, because uh-huh. that was my first foray really into interviewing people. Yeah. And there was a time where I got thrown in a studio with a band I'd never heard yeah. and knew nothing about. And they were very, like, it was a small little act. But they're like, you got to go interview them. And I go, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. They're like, figure it out. Just ask them some questions. Yeah. And I go, okay. But I found, I didn't anticipate that paying off later, but I found that skill set really, really useful as I started approaching podcasting. Oh, yeah. Do you, oh, yeah. Do you think back on that? Was that useful to you? Um, I think back in my interviews, real quick, so I want to backtrack. Uh, Every Time I Die is a very successful band that came out of Buffalo. Oh, yeah. metal genre. And there's a few others that I could definitely think. So I should probably, uh, I have to recant that. Correct so, the record a little bit. Yeah, I don't want anybody that listens to this being like, I was like you literally are friends with Andy Williams. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, he, you, you you're just kind of no selling his band, right? No, but every time I die, awesome. Come man. on, give him some heat. Give him he, some shine. He, he's a ring, brother. <laughs> um, but he, uh, they so always get their shit in. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they always do. He, he gets their shit in. Uh, so, <laughs> I, but yeah, I remember when I was interviewing bands. I guess, I guess it's something where it kind of <laughs> producing it helps me producing podcasts mm-hmm. because you kind of think back about okay, when I was interviewing bands, you know, I was doing very basic stuff. You know, what are some of your influences? So, what kind of album is this? So, you know, just asking very stuff stuff yeah. that's like on what's your certain, writing process like, or just something that you know that people could just kind of hang their hat on. And mm-hmm. It's like you know, especially if it's like you know, whether it's a local band, whether it's you know, fucking ministry. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I had those experiences. So since it was broadcast radio and stuff like that, like, you know, I mean, I, I have a sense of humor and stuff, but I don't really know what's what, you know, I don't know if people think what I think is funny. Right. Is whatever else. So I'm all, as you know, especially being younger, you know, I was like 22, 23. Right. Doing this sort of shit. And, and you're very green. Yeah. You're very green and you're very naive. I mean, when I was doing radio, I was very uh, naive and just stupid. And <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, Glad that, you know, I learned some of the lessons that I did, but, you know, but no, doing, producing podcasts and just listening to people interview people and looking back and being like, okay, well, I wouldn't want somebody to interview somebody else in the way that I would. Yeah, I I want there to be something unique about an interview, you know, when it comes out. I mean, most of the time, though, I mean, it's hard. It's when people are like, I want to do a podcast where I talk to other people. Mm-hmm. The success of that show depends on the interviewer. Yes. It's not so much about, oh, I talked to Obama. I talked to Burt Reynolds. Or I'm just saying, I'm just thinking yeah, of people I, that are like big names. That, that was the first one that came to you? Because <laughs> I, I, I was just listening to uh, Bill Burr on Conan O'Brien's okay. show, and he was talking about Burt Reynolds. So Could have uh, said Conan O'Brien. Co- yes, exactly. It's like, <laughs> yo, but then people, yo, but. So, I mean, listening to the Stone Cold podcast. I asked you this the first time we met because we met for the first time, like just last week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was listening to it on the way over. Steve seems like a hard guy to edit. Is he? Is he tough? Because he'll kind of take a very circuitous path to a question, 
And sometimes there's not always a question at the end of what he says. The guest is sort of like on the spot to react to everything that Steve just said. Right. Is and that challenging when you edit? Not really, because I kind of let him do his thing. Although, you know, I mean, really, because the process of editing a show for him actually takes a long time. Sure. Because you have to listen to the full show, you know, to make sure that it's clean and everything, you know, certain things are clean, certain things are there. And if anything that he requests to be, you know, figured out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kind of let him do his thing. And, you know, but if he does, if there's something where he's like, hey, man, uh, or, hey, man, you know, can you cut this out? You know, <laughs> again, God you damn, do I was good. talking to him. I was like, oh, I was like, oh this is kind of bullshit. You know, maybe you should cut this out. So, <laughs> and I was like, and sometimes, so, so yeah, I mean, or just something to that effect, you know, where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll trim that up. You know, like if you have, I'm, I'm, there's certain people that have been on a show, you know, that you could meet, you can kind of tell, you know, the conversation was much longer, but it has to be, you know, condensed. You got to get it buttoned up a little bit. Yeah, especially, I mean, I've had it where, you know, I've buttoned up some shows that definitely where he's like, oh, maybe we have to make this a two-parter. It's like, no, you don't. Okay. You know, it needs to be, it just needs to be one. You're like, I can, I can cut it, man. I can, I, I, can, I, I know where the good stuff is. Yeah. I'll figure it out, you know, cause I want, cause I know, you know, your audience. I mean, I know in terms of like what your audience is going to want yeah. as far as like something concise, you know, and you don't, I mean, if, if it's something where he's really enjoying it, for instance, like today we we're recording mm -hmm. this, he released an episode with Duke to Dumpster Drossy. Oh, nice. All right. Which was actually really fascinating because I didn't realize him and Steve, when Steve first got into the WWF, they used to r r ride together. Oh, cool. All right. You know, and Duke, you know, I mean, Duke to Dumpster Drossy is, you know, to a lot of wrestling fans, especially, you know, to a lot of modern fans, he's just kind of a blip. Uh -huh. But to guys like us, it's like, oh, yeah, he was the wrestling garbage man, you know? <laughs> like, I even remember him getting that article in because he was, uh, his whole thing was he was the 500th wrestler listed in, I think, the PWI 500. I think for 1993 or 94 or okay. whatever. And then they, and then the year late, like later in the year, he ended up getting a trial to the WWF and he was there for, you know, two years or whatever. It was pretty good too. I mean, had that feud with Triple H, had yeah. that feud with Lawler. Yeah, Lawler, he, uh, you know, and he pretty much was just, uh, you know, he was just one of those guys there. He's like, you know, he was uh, indicative of the new generation era. Right. And, Where uh, everyone had a profession, yeah. like a side profession besides wrestler. You had race car drivers, you had garbage men, you had clowns, Plumbers. you had horses, you had or bulls, you had, you know, just every, you know, because bull being a bull is professional. You get paid to do that. So, but, are you talking about Mantar? Yeah, 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 Mantar. You know, uh, you could be a man from the future, a future yeah. man. You could be, you know, Eric Watts, you know, yeah. whatever. But or yeah, Max Moon. Uh, well, that was ninety three. Yeah, I mean, we're just kind of, I mean, that's new generation. So you pretty right. much like anything like 92 to 96, yeah. 97 ish, you know, whatever. Yeah, into early 97, right, right about, I think the Attitude Era started with uh, Bret Hart's like pro candidate character. I mean, and DX was there, obviously. Well, pretty, yeah, and pretty much, well, I mean, pretty much once Montreal happened. Well, no, of course. But I mean, even leading up to that, you know, you still had sort of like the gang wars element in 97. So it was a little bit rougher around the edges, you know, right. between DX and, you know, DOA and Bariquas and The Nation. And, uh, you know, Hart is doing much edgier promos about America, talking yeah. about gun control and stuff like that. I the, the product really took a different direction if you look between 96 and 97. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. It's weird. It's weird thinking that that was a year removed. Yeah. You know, from that stuff. I mean, like Steve, like actually and Steve, 
becoming Stone Cold. Was that really, was 96. That was 96. So that was like mid-96. Yeah, the King of the Ring promo was 96, yeah, right? Yeah, June 96. And that was like really like, I think, the linchpin for the Attitude Era. Yeah, yeah. You know, not just because that character and just because you kind of can tell that things change. I mean, there was still, you know, bullshit going on, but that's kind of where... You know, he injected himself, and it's like he was just like such a unique character to everything else that was going on in the WWF preceding that. He used to make me nervous because he seemed so unhinged. So I I was born in eighty one. Okay. So I was like fifteen. I turned fifteen in ninety six, and then in ninety seven, you know, I turned sixteen. So I, I'm still pretty young, pretty impressionable, but yeah, yeah. But, but pretty jaded. And I, I remember the whole Austin Pillman thing, the the gun angle. Yeah. And I, I'm like, this guy is terrifying. Like, he seems unstoppable. He I don't know. I was more scared of Brian, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian Pillman was nuts. I mean, Steve, the thing about Steve is that I followed him from, like, USWA. Right. So it's like I've seen him progress, and then he gets to, you know, WWF, and it's like, okay, so I get it. You know, this, okay. is, this is who he is, and this is what he's doing and stuff. and. See, I wasn't as familiar. I, yeah. I, I knew him as stunning Steve Austin. I knew the Hollywood Blondes yeah. uh, because I watched WCW a little bit. I was I was more of a WWF guy. And yeah. as we talked about, I grew up AWA as well because my dad's from Chicago and Denver's an old AWA territory. Right. But with that character, when he switched from the ringmaster, he just seemed so mean and so relentless. Right. And and again, that stood in contrast to everyone else. He wasn't like a like a conniving heel. He wasn't a chicken shit heel. He he's was the a, toughest heel. He's the toughest son of a toughest SOB. Yeah. My my I, well, you know what it is like there's certain defining moments like the way that he would just snipe at like authority figures. <laughs> yeah. But even before like all the McMahon stuff, like I'd made, I think one of my favorite moments I've never told him, I should tell him this, but <laughs> one of my favorite moments was when he was jawing back and forth with Gorilla Monsoon, because Gorilla Monsoon was like, you know, tell, you know, he, he was like an authority figure back then. Yeah, right? he was the, when he was still the authority figure, and he's like, he's call, he, he's talking to Gorilla Monsoon. He's like, God damn, whatever. He's like, God damn, son, you know. And, and Gorilla Monsoon's like, son, son. I mean, Gorilla Monsoon's like, you know, like <laughs> sixty years old or whatever, however old he was, you know. And he's like, son. And I'll always remember that when he called Gorilla Monsoon's son. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now it's it compared you know, just like just his. He was so di- – you know, the character was so different from like yeah. fucking, you know, T.L. Hopper, you yeah. know, or any of those other, you know, weirdos. Or even like Triple H at the time, you know, yeah, coming Triple, out yeah. like in riding pants. You know, like that's sort of what I understood heels to be was, you know, they, they'd come out, they'd, they'd be – they'd prance, they'd cheat, they'd, you know, go behind the ref's back and stuff. Steve was just straight ahead. And Steve's like, I don't give a fuck about any of you. Right. I'm going to destroy you. Like and there's really nothing you can do about it's it. It's kind of like the Road Warriors. Yeah, in a, like the Road Warriors are that's just a good like point. guys who like you know I mean yeah, I mean WWF kind of cartooned <laughs> them. Road Warriors in WCW and WA, you know, it was just they come to the ring, they maul a bunch of pasty jobbers, and then they would they'd cut, leave. cut cut the most insane promos, and yeah. then they would then, it, then they would that'd be it. And it's like that was Steve. You know, he'd come out, he'd maul a bunch of do a bunch of cause a bunch of chaos, and then he'd take off. You know and I was going to say, uh, going back to Triple H real quick, I was really big. On, I, I've always kind of liked Triple H, especially when he first I first saw him, because I always thought the pedigree was just such a... Oh, it's the, one of the best finishers. It's just such a devastating move. Something that like you didn't really see a lot of in the WWF when like you mm-hmm. know moves that like you know drop people like it's the very definitive. It's like arms hook behind the back and he's dropping you on the face, and it's yeah. like, I just really I really enjoyed that move. It's a devastating move. Right. Yeah. And that's what I think that's why, like, uh, something like the Diamond Cutter, 
you know, became so popular is because it just looks like it's like, oh, he fucked that guy up. <laughs> well, and that one's an easy one to do and uh, an easy one to, to vary. You know, I mean, the first one was what? The Ace Crusher? It yeah. Did. Yeah. That was, uh, that was in Japan. So we did, you know, guys like right. us, we, we didn't, you know, we knew about Johnny Ace, but we didn't ever mm-hmm. watch Johnny. I mean, I wasn't a tape trader guy. No, I and I only was a little, little bit, and it's funny because we're recording this the day after Dynamite Kid died. Right. I actually bought a tape off a guy uh, on the internet. So uh, tape trading days were were the wild west, man. People were making all sorts of comps, and like people were always trying to buy my original Coliseum video boxes, which well, just the boxes. Well, with the tapes in them, but they were paying oh. a premium if you know because I had the original boxes. Right, right. And, and people wanted them. as they should have. Exactly. And I don't think I ever sold any of them cuz I couldn't bear to part with them. Right. But the point is, you could find these people. I don't even remember how I found them cuz Google wasn't really a thing back then. It was probably message boards. And, you know, I'd arrange payment and I'd pay them and they'd dub tapes like they'd have two VCRs and they'd make me these tapes and send them to me via the mail and I'd I, anyway, the point is, I I bought one that was best of Dynamite Kid. So it was a lot yeah. of his Tiger Mask stuff in Japan, and like some old Stampede stuff, and then early WWF stuff. It was great, man. All right, let me ask you this question because this is something that I, I I'm always curious about with other wrestling fans. First of all, when did you get into it? How old were you? I want to say probably 1986. Okay, so what was the? Do you remember like the event that, or or like? Around that time, because I got I got in right about the same time. That was WrestleMania two, right? And so my dad had taped that off of Showtime, and he showed it to me a bunch, right? <clears throat> and so immediately I gravitated, obviously to Hogan, uh-huh. but uh, Ricky Steamboat fought Hercules Hernandez, yes, at that card, and then Bret Hart was one of the last guys in the Royal Rumble, and I thought Bret Hart with his sunglasses was just so fucking cool, yeah. And he was wearing the alternate blue tights, yes, he was that night. And so from there, and I also really liked Bill Fralick from the NFL in that battle royal because he was John away with Big John Stud. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the one of the dudes. Yeah, one of the football players, one of but the main dudes. Anyway, so at that point, that's when I got into it, and then I haven't been able to fully shake it since. <laughs> You're always trying to get away from it. Yeah, I wish I knew how to quit you. Uh, I probably my I, I definitely as far as earliest wrestling memories. I remember some stuff from the war to settle the score on MTV. Oh wow! Probably because somebody like a like a random ass cousin was watching it in my house or whatever, and uh, so there's that. I definitely remember watching syndicated TV, and I feel Bob Orton wrestled there. And Bob Orton, did you remember at all? Bob Orton, his gimmick was he had the cast, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, he was not very good on the top rope. Like he would, yeah. Oh, do you do you remember that? Yeah, okay, I do. So, yeah. Okay, so that's no, real. he was like unbalanced. Yeah, he was unbalanced. I mean, even though he invented the superplex, right? You know, he was he was unbalanced. He'd be unbalanced. That was always a thing where like my mom, my parents would watch. It's like, oh, he can't stand or whatever. You know. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, no, I remember that. Uh, but I definitely remember getting WrestleMania three. Okay. On on pay per view, that's like a big thing, and then pretty much from like. WrestleMania three on, I feel like from then, from all that time up until like maybe ninety four is where we just ordered all the pay per views. Okay. Well, it, see, we didn't have pay per view capability where I lived, which was really annoying. So I had to go down to my friend's house. I remember getting like WrestleMania ten. I got like SummerSlam ninety three. Right. Uh, you know, a handful of those. We got Survivor Series ninety three, Rumble ninety four with that whole group grope with Yokozuna. I remember or, that. Yep, yep, yep. Or, or like Marty Jannetty is rising to the rafters, um, in Undertaker costume. But my question was, were you a, like a closeted wrestling fan? No. Okay, I was. No, I. Could, I it, it was one of those things where either I was into it or I wasn't. 
Uh, See, yeah. I was embarrassed by it. For I don't know why. Uh, I could. There's no no reason until yeah. the Attitude Era. Well, of course, the whole NWO, Austin, DX, you know, every the Rock, they crossed over to the mainstream. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, my high school was talking about it, and I go, "Yeah, I've been into this like forever," and no one cared. And then from that <laughs> point forward. I'm like, yep, all right, well, I am and have been a wrestling fan. Oh, Deal man, with it. You're out there, everybody out there is too sweet <laughs> doing the just, but just, oh man, that was those are good days back in '96. Actually, '96 was another good year for me for wrestling, even though it wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't the best stuff. I mean, but it was like big. It was a big change, yeah, for a lot of things because that's kind of where I, you know, between I'd say '92 to '93, you know, '90. Six ish, I kind of was in and out, you know, because I was in high Very school. Very much so, yeah. Was trying to, trying to, you know, trying to play footballs, trying to friggin' be a dude, mm-hmm. and then eventually it was like, you know, okay, well, I'm starting to watch Monday Nitro and starting to watch all these things, and I'm catching up on that. I'm buying after mags, and you know, and then I'm watching stuff like Bash at the Beach '96, you know, and I'm becoming fully WCW, and I remember, you know, I'm staying up watching Nitro and all that yeah. shit. Yeah, those were the days. I always remember just it, those the era of like crowds of just nothing but like fat dudes <laughs> with really tightly tucked in nwo shirts just be like Woo, too sweet yeah 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 just just that sort of thing i i i remember that and i remember it was like a such a big deal because buffalo you know never really i mean they had wrestling shows come there but mm-hmm. then there used to be this wrestler ilio de paulo who wrestled in the 50s and he was a, a gigantic man who was hit by a car i, mean, I just remember there being like you know, a lot of buzz around that. And they had like a memorial show for him. And that was, it always ended up being like a WCW show. So like, it was you know, just like regular WCW house show, but then they occasionally bring out some people. It's like, these people are good wrestlers, you know, or good amateur wrestlers. And here's an award. And now here's right. Savage and Flair, you know, huh. it was fun. You know, I remember, I remember going to the first one in 1996, the Apollo at the old Buffalo War Memorial Auditorium. They were singing, Oh Canada. And some guy just stands up and goes, Boo! <laughs> And then he had to sit down and he got escorted out. Oh, geez. Yeah, that guy had a had a rough night. I remember I saw Randy Savage fight Jake the Snake in a cage in 92. That was shortly before WrestleMania 8. Right. And Savage was sort of playing out the string against uh, against Jake. So Savage wins. It's the uh, he gets to the top of the cage, and I had brought a sign. It's like the most ill-conceived sign. You, you, this is perfect for like a 10-year-old to write. Yeah, yeah. It says... Savage versus Flair, no contest. Rest in peace, Flair. Woo. There's a lot going on on that sign. It's a terrible fucking sign, right? You gotta get it all, the, you gotta get it all in, yeah. Yeah, I mean... You gotta get your shit in. <laughs> I, got, I, I definitely got my shit in on that sign. But so I'm, I'm standing way down in the front, and I'm holding it up, and Savage is at the top of the cage, and he looks at the sign, he looks at me, he makes eye contact with me. I'm just this 10-year-old kid, and he kind of gives me a nod. He's like... And I'm like, yeah. And I was so excited because I'm like, oh, man, he's so going to beat Flair now. Nice. And I, I felt so good. And I'd heard when Savage died all those years ago, I heard so many stories from people that he did the same thing for them. Yeah. He just he, he knew how to make that connection and make it special for everyone there's in the no, audience. There's nobody else like him. There never will be, can never be somebody else like him. I think he was just such a unique man, and it's... 
uh, and, and a wrestler character and just a person in general. Yeah. And I think I actually cried when he passed away. I did. It was one of those things where it's like I normally don't freak out when those sort of things happen, you know, but it was such a difficult thing at the moment. That one was just gutting for whatever reason. Yeah, because he's one of those guys like you didn't really – like he kind of just faded away. Yeah. You know, after like – uh, WCW went out of business. And he just kind of, you know, he went away, and then occasionally you see him pop up, and he's like completely white bearded, and then yeah, then he yeah, does yeah. something with TNA, and it's kind of sad, and then you know, then all of a sudden he's gone, you know, and yeah. you hear about how kind of how he was just living his life and stuff at, towards the end, and it was like, man, that really. It really sucks, you know, because yeah. he'd be still a guy that, uh, you know, if, if whatever him and Vince had to put to put aside. I mean, I'm certain he still probably wouldn't be that. There, there'd still be a grudge, sure, you know. But uh, yeah, no, he's uh, he, he's he was an interesting cat. All right, getting back to podcasting because people always ask me all the time, "How do you start a podcast?" I go, "Well, you just fucking start one." Yep. Like, I mean, really, like starting a podcast is not a big deal, yep. but I think. What they're asking is, how do I make money podcasting, right? Uh-huh. Which is a much different kind of thing. People assume that I make money from this show. I don't, yeah. um, which is fine. I, I have companies pay me to produce podcasts for yeah. them. Um, and those audiences are ones that if you're listening to this show right now, you're, you may or may not be into what I've produced for other companies. Mm. My question for you is, you work for an actual podcast company. Right. If one were to want to do that, how do they do that? Alternate question, what was your path? So my path was I moved out to Hollywood in 2010. And prior to that, I started really getting into podcasting, just listening to shows, uh, Douglas movies, you know, uh, actually Douglas movies was like the main one. Uh, there's a maybe Nerdist. No, maybe I don't know if Nerdist was around then. My, uh, mine was This American Life I got into. Okay. Bill Simmons podcast. Okay. Uh, and uh, Adam Carolla podcast in the early days when he got laid off from CBS. Right, right. And uh, I was also listening to like a lot, you know, Observer Radio and stuff like yeah. that shit. I uh, got into Marin pretty early, and then also Nerdist. Yeah, like, I was way into Nerdist at the time. I don't know. I can't remember if I hopped into that yet. But so I started listening to that, and uh, often on Douglas Movies was a show. Uh, uh, there was a guy named Graham Elwood mm-hmm. who would appear on, as a guest on a show, and he would often open for Doug, uh, Doug Benson, and he had a podcast called Comedy Film Nerds, and they still do. And Comedy Film Nerds is uh, basically a film review podcast where they just review new films and they just bullshit about industry stuff. And it's hosted by Graham Elwood and Chris Mancini, two comedians, and they would just bring on comedians and stuff. You know, they're comedian friends and people just unique people, just pe- people that I was like, oh, these people are interesting. And I started listening to it from like the very beginning. Like I right. had to listen for their website. I don't know why I didn't listen to <laughs> Apple, but – uh, I will listen on the website. And, uh, God, I remember doing that too. I used to listen on on websites, and sometimes I still do. Yeah, no, yeah. Sometimes it's like you're saying that's the easiest way. That's how you do it. Like you just plug in your headphones to your computer, and then uh, you open the browser tab and go back to doing whatever you were doing, like in a different browser tab or you know with a different program. Real quick, so I, I want to point out uh, just real quick way that I used to listen to podcasts. Uh, when I first was in L.A., I didn't have a aux cord for the car, mm-hmm. so we just had a CD player. So I would burn podcasts to see <laughs> writable CDs and just listen to them that way. I did that too. <laughs> I had I had I had no other choice. I mean, I yeah, I I remember for work I had to drive to like Grand Junction in Wyoming a lot and stuff. Yeah. And so I'd burn all these discs. I'd like download them. And yeah, I'd put them on rewritable CDs because I was usually in a company car. Yeah. And it, like there was no aux cord there either. And yeah, no, you didn't have that shit. And for the longest time, I just, I had a flip phone too. Yeah. And so I also had a portable speaker that, uh, it was like a blue, like a, 
like a speaker that could plug into my phone, and I used to hang that from my uh, from my sun visor. Okay. So, yeah. God damn, that's weird. Like, yeah. No, I had a, I had a, you had to figure out somehow to get it in, but <laughs> uh, but yeah. So I I listened to, I listened to their show, and I was really into their show. And they're they're actually you know they were actually tight with guys like you know Paul F. Tompkins, and they had Chris Hardwick on like an early episode, and they had these connections to these different comedians, you know, like Eddie Pepitone and uh, Todd Glass and. All these, sure. all these characters, and uh, so I was always really into that show. And I got to LA, and, you know, and I was schlepping around. I ended up uh, working at in the admissions department at AFI, you know, and then that, that was like more of like a seasonal thing at some point. But I, but I want, but I was listening to that show, and I was getting more into podcasts, and I wanted to be like, well, I want to just do something with this show because I was a really big fan of comedy film nerds, and mm-hmm. I was a really big fan of their stuff, and I would try to participate and do stuff, and I eventually was like, well, I have this free time now because I'm not, you know, or on days off that I wasn't work, work wasn't working at AFI, I would I was like, hey, do you guys need an intern? Because I knew they were they had interns, you know, mm-hmm. there's people helping them out. And it was unpaid, but I was like, I just well, I wanted to make some connections. I want to be around you guys too. Yeah, I want to be around I want to be around these guys. I want to figure out what what's going on, you know, with some podcast with this movie stuff because I still was very much focused on doing film stuff because I had a film degree and I came right. out and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do film and stuff. And I, I just figured it's like, okay, well, I can be connected with these guys and get in. Maybe they'll figure something. You know, maybe something will happen. You know, I just wanted to make some connections. And I would just kind of go there and sit there while they would tape their show and write down notes so they can put stuff on their app and then just do research and give them notes on the movies that came out and so things that they can refer yeah, to. Yeah, fodder. Yeah, just stuff. You're basically doing the research that they didn't need. They didn't really have time to do because, you know, they're both working comedians and writers and stuff like that. Yeah. So eventually I would do that and I would be there, uh, you know, whenever I could. And on one day I was in the stu- in their studio, which was a garage in Sherman Oaks. And uh, it's not anymore. I thought it still was. But no. uh, occasionally they'll do it from there. But, yeah, I was, you know, they I would be there. And uh, one day uh, Chris Gore came in. Chris mm-hmm. Gore is uh, the used to be a host on G4 TV. And he also created the magazine and eventually, you know, now website, uh, Film Threat. Chris was one of these guys who was like, you know, I, I, I would do podcasting too, you know. And Chris was like, I want to do a podcast because I go on so many podcasts. I would go on a podcast and then I would take that off from a podcast and then I would comment on it because I do like, I like DVD commentary. So I'll comment on the podcast oh my God. while the podcast is and we just do that and you know and i was like it was a very high concept thing sure and at the at the time but the thing is at the time you know it was it was something that was like i don't think it was really done that much because it was still you know early on in that podcasting yeah. boom you know that second podcasting boom so i was there and they were like you know chris and graham were like hey well sean knows stuff you know sean works for us and sean could probably help you out and that's what I did. I worked with Chris, and you know, I produced the show Podcrash. And did he pay you? No. Okay. Still doing this for free. Still doing it for free. Still, you know, finding time to go hang out with him in Glendale, and you know, trying to communicate with him. And he was still working at G Four, but G Four was going under. So I mean, right. you know, he's you know, rebranding he's, into the Esquire Network. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was yeah. By that time, he was long, long gone. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, and he had his own shit going on. But I got, you know, but since Chris Gore, I mean, Chris Gore was a part of the independent film scene, you know, with the film threat and he's got all these connections. So it was like, this is something where I could, you know, another person I can connect with. And, you know, I'm also doing this podcast and trying to make some sort of creation and just basically, you know, also uh, what it allowed me to do is really dive into what podcasting was at the time. Mm-hmm. And 
looking to shows because he's like he's Chris is like I'm into all these things you know I'm into sex I'm into Star Wars I'm into you know I'll, but I'll do you know ice fishing I don't care man you know <laughs> right get me on any show whatever even though that was one of those things where it's like you know he's like he's like yeah do all this stuff but then I don't know if I really want to do all this stuff right you know of course that's, that's a whole other thing that I've learned with. You know, podcast. Yeah, ca- like, cast the net out as wide as you want, and then like you, you cast the net out, you bring all the shit back, and they go, "Well, not that, and not that," and you go, "Well, dude, you said everything." Yeah, you said you said it's like I did what you said, you know. <laughs> but so, and I did, I did that, and I think he was really impressed by that. But it was also good for me because I got to be, you know, make some contacts with people and just kind of introduce some things. And you, because know, there were some things that he did, you know, that he took the part of, like he uh, did, you know, like a roller coaster podcast. Hmm. You know, he did. Uh, you know, it's a lot of geek podcasts, but just a lot of like he did a motorcycle podcast, you know, just things that like he's like, because you used to have a motorcycle, you know, and so it's like there's things that were mixed in there. So I kind of cut my chops that way. And I would, you know, I eventually I started, he would edit the shows and I would, but I would kind of do like the majority of the prep for it. So to, to kind of to, to jump ahead, Chris's show eventually caught the attention of Levity Entertainment. Which Levity Entertainment ran, runs the improv, and they do you know they produce comedy specials and mm-hmm. manage clients like Jeff Dunham and stuff like that. They had a podcast network that was you know a fledgling podcast network called Sideshow Network, and it just you know they wanted to bring Chris on, and Chris put me over to those guys there, and it just happened that they were looking for a producer, nice uh, a full time producer to you know to be a part of that part of that network and. At the time, I was working in uh, online college doing financial aid, and I wanted to get out of there really bad. Can't imagine why. Sounds yeah. great. It was it was really you know it was a call center thing. It was really stressful, and I was like, this is really gnawing at me. And uh, the the levity job and so that sideshow came about at the perfect time, and I ended up. Uh, Working at Sideshow for four, almost four years. Wow! When uh, until the the network was dissolved by the company because you know we we had all sorts of cool shit going on, but you know there wasn't any money coming in. Right. You know that's that's a whole other discussion. And then eventually, trying to make money podcasting is yeah. I mean, I mean, there's something saying there was success, sure, but there were also but there wasn't enough success compared to what everybody else was doing, or at least what you perceived everybody else was doing. Right. So it and you find a lot of people are actually full of shit. Yeah, there's a lot of people full of shit. There's people that are very successful. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, I I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing without that sort of success. But there are some places people are like, yeah, you know, we do this, and it's like you find out that it's like such a base minimum yeah. of what the actual success is because you can still count it. Sure, you know, it's just that, but it's just not what exactly what you perceive it as, especially for somebody like myself or yourself who you know you work in the industry and you're like, oh well. This is where this is the levels up here, and then they're like, "Yeah, why do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, well, it's up here, dude." Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least that's what you know looks like. I mean, right. There's that's the God. There's so many. I could talk about this stuff for hours. But. Well, and and podcasting is weird too because I I assert that there's a very small middle class of podcasting. You know, there's there's like the kings who make lots of money from their podcast, and then there's virtually everyone else who's not making any money unless you're, you're like getting hired to produce podcasts for companies right? that that's going to have a very niche audience. You know, you're not making an entertainment podcast. You're doing it pretty much for, I feel like when companies want that sort of stuff done, it's to basically get, get a hold of a medium that they haven't done so yet. Right. And that, and that they want to make sure that they have a foothold in that. Even if it's not something that's going to be successful, they want to see what it's like. Sure. And sometimes they want uh, quality leads over like quantity. Yeah, you know, like 
it's it's a different way for them to tell their story that yeah. they that they can't do otherwise because it's it's a medium unlike any other in that you control it and that it's personal. Yeah. And so you can really three-dimensionalize a company in that way, which is useful for them, even if it's just for a very small audience, but, yeah. but they can't necessarily crack that any other way. At least that's what I've found, and that's the value proposition I've had and been successful with it. Now, when it comes to entertainment podcasts, that's where I think there's not a huge middle class. Do you have thoughts on that? No. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who are just trying it in terms of entertainment, a lot of people that are trying it and realizing how much work it actually is oh shit and then it's endless and then then just kind of fading away with it <laughs> and that's and that's and that's unfortunate you know because there's a lot of people that have potential that could right. keep it out but again it's it's a lot of work you know to make the podcast happen you know <laughs> especially even if you know i mean if the fact alone that i work for a company that hires people like myself to do these shows for people that you know, just want to be able to host it and just get gain traction that way and then connect to their audiences a certain way. But they need somebody to do the back end of it because, you know, life be busy. Yeah. So, uh, well, and it's unglamorous too. Like sitting in front of your computer, like with, you know, with a waveform up uh -huh. and you're just sitting there editing it and you're taking out ums and uhs and you're listening to essentially, you know, the same show. By the time, you know, you're, you're restarting sections and taking stuff out, you've listened to each show about four times. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it takes a while and it takes effort. It takes patience. I talked to a voiceover artist who said when she's acting and when she's doing her voice work, that's very uh, – what's the creative side of the brain? Is that right brain? Uh, is that left brain? I, fuck it. Whatever. It's a brain. That's that's the creative side. But when you're editing, it's the other analytical, real, yeah. like, book work kind of side. Yeah. And in that way, it is kind of interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting and it's also – you know, there's some people that, especially on the entertainment side, like, they have – the expectations are usually a certain thing, you know, when it comes to, you know, if you're a comedian, you want to be like Mary, you want to be like Burr, you want to be like uh, Corolla, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, cause like, you know, Hey, I'm somebody who talked to somebody. I should, this should work, you know, or I have this really great concept and people will embrace it. And there's some shows that I feel like don't get their due because the concepts are great. It's just that they just don't have uh, enough of the, the juice behind it to right. break it out uh, further because I think there's, like one, like one of my one of my favorite shows is a show called All Fantasy Everything. Mine too. Thank God you said that. Hot shit, man. How do we how do we know all the same <laughs> shit? You know Scott Keith. You know All Fantasy Everything. God damn it, man. Dude, all, you're I, like you're like the 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 the, the mountain version of me. <laughs> Dude, it, it, I I believe in parallel universes. <laughs> And I believe our universe has crossed over because I discovered All Fantasy Everything a couple uh, – like a few months ago. Okay. And then I started binging it because I couldn't fucking get enough of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I've uh, – I've, I've, uh... You feel that, Playboy? <laughs> <laughs> that's buck. Um, so, that but is dank. That is dank. Uh, no, I, well, first of all, like I heard about it on Jensen Carp's podcast. Okay. J.D. Lopez, who hosts Left Hand Right Brain, uh -huh. uh, fucking told me about it. Okay. Yeah, so Jensen Carp, he, he brought him up, and I was like, oh, I'll check this out, because it's a very interesting concept. You know, you're, you're basically drafting random-ass things. Yeah, like breakfast foods. Breakfast foods or, you know, uh, whatever. M movies I mean, movies for when you're hungover. Mo yeah, movies for when you're hungover. Uh, uh, you know, Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson movies, vegetables. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're doing all this stuff. And, uh, and it's always interesting because now that I live here, you know, David Borey, from here yeah yeah so it's like he'll be like oh yeah i did this thing over the street you know over by park and i was like i, I know that you know because even before we we came out here i was like hey what hey hey wife 
God that, damn it. Is that how you talk to her? She <laughs> loves it, doesn't she? She's like, she's like, hey, wife, hey, husband, hey, cat, you know. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, I was like, I've been talking to my wife, Jen. I'd be like, hey, I was like, Jen, do you know this? He said Elizabeth, Colorado. Do you, know, do you know Elizabeth, Colorado? I was like, yeah, that's this place or whatever. Yeah. You know? So I'm just very fascinated by that. And, uh, but the thing, but the show like that, like the concept is so. It's very well done. It's it's one of the concepts. They that cut you out hear. the fr- my only criticism of, real quick. My only criticism of the show is that they need to, I, the first twenty minutes of that show. I'm like, all right, stop sucking each other's dicks. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get to the fucking fireworks factory already. I have the same problem with uh, Sklar Brothers. It's yeah. like Sklar Brothers. It's like I love the Sklar Brothers, but they will put over a guest to the point where you're just like, God, it's like just 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 do the stories, just get to the funny stuff that I know you guys are great at because you guys are excellent at it, but I don't need to know how much you love SNL every goddamn time you talk to somebody that may have had May have uh, did something at Groundlings with Maya Ro- Rudolph or whatever the fuck it is. I'm like, God, <laughs> just get to the things that you do. Well, it reminds me of uh, Jericho's first match in WCW when Eric Bischoff is going on and on and on about him in Mexico and yeah. and, and Japan. And Bobby Heenan goes, "Do you co-sign for a house with this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I didn't. I did. I have to go back and watch that. I th- uh, that's funny. <laughs> Bobby Heenan, by the way, fucking awesome. Um, wanted to ask you. So now that you are a podcast producer. For podcast one, uh-huh. how many shows are you producing? I produce, I think I produce eight shows. Okay, how many hours of content is that? Like a week? It's all. I want to say it's almost twenty, almost a day's worth. Jesus. So to, definitely around twenty ish. Yeah, because if because I got two episodes of Chael a week, Chael Sunday. Okay, I got two episodes of Steve a week, and those shows are run about an hour. Okay, maybe a little bit less, but like. An hour a piece, so they got you know that's four, four hours, five, six. I mean, okay, I would say I would say maybe at least at least like eight, sixteen, eighteen hours. Jeez, sixteen, eighteen hours of content that you are getting ready for. I'm responsible for yeah for 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 the public to consume. And you know what? That doesn't phase me at all. It, it never has because when I worked at Sideshow, we curated a bunch of shows, and for the first year i was pretty much doing all the editing right for right. or posting and all that stuff so that sort of volume like sometimes people you go to like a place and they'll be like oh are you you, you can you handle this i'm like yes i can handle this i handle it my freaking sleep yeah you know i mean i've handled i mean I, I i dream about editing yeah and i i i i book podcasts in my sleep literally my wife would be like you're talking in your sleep and you were dealing with a podcast <laughs> and i'm like yes i was if, if it, someone showed you a blank waveform, could you pick out where the um is? Yes. Me too. <laughs> I, well, it was the other day I was uh, – we were listening – my wife and I were listening to a show uh, and the girl, you know, clearly she's got – the one girl's got a higher timbre to her voice mm-hmm. and the other one's like lower. And I'm like, I could already picture what that waveform looks like. Yeah. And it's like, why don't you levelate? Why don't you normalize? Can you? <laughs> it's like, could somebody do something to help this show? I mean, maybe they didn't have time to do it. I don't know. But it's like I could totally see what yeah. it looks like and it just – bothers me because i'm like i always like a nice thick even waveform yeah that i've that i've produced and it yeah i have to i have to like do that because because you, you some people because sometimes because all it takes is one person to say something all it takes is one person to be like well you know this bothered me and uh i i told the host and then the host will be like it's like what is this what's happening you know what, what's yeah. going on and i'll be like this is what's happening but i will fix it okay so how quick are you at editing now? Because when I started this show, it was like probably two hours uh-huh. to every one hour of raw audio. Okay. And I've gotten that down w- quite a bit. I mean, it depends on the show and it depends on the guest. Yeah. But 
I would say I'm between 1.25 to 1 to 1.5 to 1. I'm probably about there too, maybe depending on it depends, it depends depends on the show because you also have to factor in like listening to the actual content. Yeah. But usually if it's just a straight monophile, you know, there's no problem, but if somebody's like sending in like a a Skype, you know, call recorder oh, gimmick, you know, and you have to split the tracks and then, you know, but they didn't put their headphones in. Oh fuck me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah don't yeah, listen listen if there's one thing you guys take away from this professionally put your headphones in when doing Skype yes every goddamn time because it'll bleed into the fi- audio file and then you're going to connect the files and it's going to sound like shit or you you know just just do it right and so sometimes so if that's something like that happens like yeah then you know then it's like longer because I got to you know sort it all out you know because sometimes people you know, they talk over each other and there's always you know people whatever so yeah I I could figure it out but i mean the thing is stuff like that it's like okay i got a challenge that's my job yeah, yeah. i'll make it work yeah it's and and once you know how to do it like you'll get in there and you'll go okay this is going to be a challenge but nothing is unsolvable yeah I mean, it took me a while originally to get involved with uh, figured out uh, audition because i picked up audition once i moved to podcast one because i was always garage band okay and see i use audacity yeah and i, I used to use audacity too um, and occasionally i would i thought i had to use that for certain conversions but Aud- audition definitely is the bomb and it makes me edit so much quicker yeah down at house of pod they have audition and so i was using that a little bit and i liked it but and paul's like for this for this one show that i'm doing which is a little bit more complex than any other show i've done it's got a lot more elements a lot more layers uh he's like you should really just do this in audition i go look man that's like telling me that speaking Spanish is fundamentally easier than speaking English, which it is. It's yeah. easier to learn. It's easier to write. It's easier to spell. The verb conjugations are a fucking nightmare. But once you sort of figure that out, basically, you'll pick up Spanish pretty quickly. Uh-huh. The problem is I still have to learn fucking Spanish, dude. Yeah. Like So like I am great at English, and while Spanish may be actually easier, yeah. I don't have the time to learn Spanish so that I can be fluent in it yeah. to get the show where I need to be. I can usually pick up any digital audio workspace i mean it kind of all just kind of fits in the same it's usually just the commands that you know the fingers and the that's what i mean like i i didn't want to lose time like fumbling around like just it i you know i didn't want to learn how to drive a fucking stick shift yeah right no that's that's i could see that so you know there's just subtle variations with that that i didn't want to be dicking around with because i know i'd get hung up on them Uh and then i'm just adding time where i can just do it I know audacity in my sleep at this point. Yeah, no, I was saying, but if that's what you're comfortable with, you should use that. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt I had to change from GarageBand. I'm glad that I did yeah. because it's just in terms of what industry wants. They want to know that you know how to use something like Audacity or, or well, obviously, I mean, Audacity works and GarageBand works, but they want to know that you know how to use Pro Tools, mm-hmm. you know, which Pro Tools is expensive, so it's hard to really get into it. I've had experience with it, but. You know, I think auditions more suited for what, you know, just like your basic, like I needed, I got a person that wants to put a show together Mm -hmm. real quickly and you can do that. Like a a Pro Tools is more of like, you know, the fucking, you know, Wondery shows where it's like, you know, we're doing, we're we're making dramas over here. (laughs) Yeah, where we're essentially making like 1930s style radio. Yeah, which, I mean, look, I mean, that stuff's beautiful and it's great. And I'm, I think we're blessed that we're in an age where people are, you know, really digging into that stuff. But, you know, there's certain, there's a, it takes a certain kind of uh, editor, which I mean, saying I could figure that out if I had to, but you know, it's not. Well, it's a different touch. It's I a mean, touch, yeah. compared to like you know these these chat shows that that we're largely doing. Yeah, uh, you know that that's a very familiar rhythm, and I could certainly edit one of those shows in my sleep as yeah. well. No, that's how that's how it goes for me. I mean, that's pretty much how like 
you know, like Steve show is and Chael's show is, you know, it's like basically like, here's a file, you know, clean this up, you know, yeah. make sure that, you know, curses or whatever is taken out and keep it tight. Can I just give some advice real quick? Oh, please. We're, we're wrapping up here. So, uh, cause I kind of, I feel like I didn't really answer your last que- your uh, question. Fair enough. So my biggest advice to people that want to work professionally in podcasting is I'm going to use a quote from Mike Quackenbush. I heard him say this on a podcast called Tights and Fights that mm-hmm. I really like. It's a wrestling podcast on Max Fun. Something about it's talking about people being in the wrestling business, but I think this applies in general. It said, know enough about everything to be dangerous in any conversation because podcasting is so new to a lot of people, even though it's been around for a while, that you need to know as much about it as possible. And that means – Knowing the tech, knowing apps, knowing uh, who the players are, who the companies are, what the trends are. You know, even though iTunes charts are pretty much bullshit, you should have an idea of what that looks like (laughs) and what Apple is is doing, you know. And it's hard to keep up. It really is. And I'm I'm guilty of that in some respects, you know. And there's a zillion fucking podcatchers, too. Oh, yeah. And most of them suck. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know that everybody's like, oh, I don't like Apple. It's like, yeah, well, that's what I I, I just have Apple. You know, I mean, yeah. if I had if I didn't have an Apple phone, I probably would use Stitcher. I probably use, uh, you know, whatever Anchor or whatever the fuck it is, whatever fuck it is. But it's things you kind of have to know about those things. I'm not really in a position right now uh, in my current position, my current job, to make a lot of those decisions. Like back when I was a sideshow, like those were a bigger deal, mm-hmm. you know, for it to be like, oh, we need to get on this, we need to have that. So it's like you should be aware of that. Uh, and there's a lot of good resources for that. There's a, actually a, a newsletter. I call it the Podcast Illuminati newsletter. Hmm. Uh, but it's called Hot Pod. And it's run by this kid. Out of, I, he's like, I mean, he's younger than me, so I call him a kid. But he's probably not that <laughs> younger. He runs out of, you know, he's based out of New York. Pretty, He's very more focused on, like, just NPR and, like, just kind of, like, that trend stuff and just following those things. And I give, I try to give him shit for that because I'm like, well, you know, the podcasting industry is much bigger than what you're talking about. But – for you know getting into a bigger world of it it's a good introduction and uh, you know there's stuff that's free from it that you you could do that you can look it up i mean there's resources there's you know just look it up like podcasting newsletters what what we need more of though and i'll say this we need more sites that review podcasts yeah objectively or su- subjectively i can never get those right <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i follow you so we need what we need is like a, a pitchfork for podcast what we need is you know how ap would have review like a shit ton of reviews in the back of their magazine yeah we need that for podcasts every week yeah we just don't we we only have like you know uh, vulture has a column av club has a column uh there's a bunch of people that send out newsletters that they review podcasts on occasionally entertainment weekly or forbes or time might be like here's a bunch of great podcasts just not something where it's like Oh, if we go here, we're going to see a big development of that. I've often really tried to figure out the the mechanics of that, and I, I shit, maybe I'll just do it my damn self. There you go. And you know, I, I I could I need people. I would want people that can do the same thing to be a part of that uh, because I want. I just I just feel like there's a lot of shows out there because a lot of times people just go to iTunes or Apple and just be like. Oh, what's that? That's great. Okay, I'm going to download Yeah, what's the that. top one? Yeah. What's the top that? Or they'll just kind of base it on, you know, the biggest reason why people don't listen to podcasts is they don't know what to fucking listen to. <laughs> yeah. And there's not a place where you could just go that isn't just uh, – that isn't another app. You know, it's like right. what's the website? You know, reviews.com. Bam. Oh, I know everything now. So that's something we need. And that's something that, you know, you just be as educated as possible about that sort of stuff. I mean, just be smart because – 
there's no reason not to be in podcasting now because I hate saying it's the Wild West, but we're still kind of there. I mean, I, I do right. appreciate that there's some structure coming up, and I don't really appreciate when people are always like, yeah, it's Wild West. You can do what you want. I'm like, it's, a, it's an industry. Dude, 30, 32% of people last year, so, and I, it's somewhere in this neighborhood, but I, I could be butchering the stat. 32% of people last year listened to a podcast. Yeah. Or, or even knew what that was. That means more than two thirds of the country still hasn't discovered it. There's a lot of people. I mean, what, and here's the thing: once those people do figure it out, they tend to dive deep, man. They'll get into it, or or it could be problems. Like I feel like the machine has not been awakened yet. You know, right. so there's a lot of people, a lot of places out there that didn't realize, like, oh, that's a thing. Okay, well now we need to be a part of that, and it could be. You know, good or bad, depending on where you stand. Uh, but that needs to happen because, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of like, oh, we need to get podcasts and cars like radio. It's like, no, we just need to get people interested in what it is. So, right. All right. Well, we could, we could go on literally all day. Yeah. But, um, this is the time in the show when we do plugs because we do need to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Angry Hero Sean and Sean is spelled S H A W N. You can also find my podcasts at – so I produce podcasts for Podcast One, but I also do my own podcasts. I have a podcast with my wife, Jen, called Worst Collection Ever, where we riff on comic books that we own because we buy a lot of dollar comics from places like Mile High, and they, they, they suck, but we love them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's 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 a weird – it's it's a thing. You know, it's just a thing I always kind of wrestle with. It's like, do, why, do I really need a good, bad collection? But whatever – you, if you listen to the show, you'll get it. Yeah. And uh, we have fun with it. Uh, it's worst collection ever. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on pretty much anywhere you can find it. We're on Facebook, you know, so just check us out there. And I have a wrestling podcast called I Can Talk Kayfabe that I do with my buddy Joe Todaro. Uh He's in L.A. I'm here in Denver. And we haven't picked up on it in a while because, you know, the move and everything. But uh, at some point, we're going to figure it out. And we basically – we used to talk about just wrestling magazines, but I think we're kind of expanded to just more wrestling uh, memories, like not not current product, but just yeah. stuff that like you know you and I can dive into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you should have me on that show. I'll do that with you anytime. Dig it. But Sean Marin, Sean Sean Marin, Sean Marin. Oh man, I'm related. <laughs> I remember I call Mark up and be like, "Hey man, give me some of that money." Maybe I thought you were Sean Marion, you know, from the Phoenix Suns. Sean uh, Merriman? Sean Marion. Oh. Not Sean Marion. There's a lot of names like this. Uh, <laughs> Sean Merrick. Uh, this was a pleasure. Thanks to Paul Caroli for getting us hooked up because uh, I we got plenty to talk about, man. Yeah, so man. continued success to you. Thanks, man. They've given me the go-home signal here on episode 202 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you, Sean Merrick, for being on the show and for indulging some of my wrestling nerddom once the show was over. I showed you some VHS tapes, some action figures. We had a great time, and I look forward to hanging out with you more and more. John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. That is my company. That is how I make money. Part of the way I make money is by producing podcasts for others. So if you have an interest in getting a podcast produced, give me a ring. It's D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4 Degrees. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing anything online, whether it's building a website, communicating across social media platforms, or doing some online advertising, 4 Degrees will help you get the right message and then get that message front of people who need to see it most they will move the needle on your campaign whether it has to do with politics or whether it has to do with some good or service they will get you the audience that you need 
Check them out on the web at number 4 degrees New episodes drop on Wednesday. That's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you each Wednesday. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It'd be super cool if you do that. I think I've got one more show in me by the end of the year, and then we're also going to do some first jobs, so stay tuned to John of All Trades social media for that. But until I hear you again, say goodnight, Grace. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak.